Good evening. One of history's worst mass murders occurred here in Austin today. By official count tonight, 49 persons were hit by gunfire. There are 16 dead and 33 injured. It started last night when a man reportedly killed his wife and his mother. That same man apparently rounded up an arsenal and supplies this morning and then went to the observation deck of the University of Texas Tower. It was then that terror rained down from the tower. Charles Ward was there and described the shooting. There must have been a hit that last time. We hear people outside of our building in an area where we can't now look safely, saying, let's help that boy. Does he need help? Someone must be down. Did you check out that Sniper 66? Uh, Sniper 66, uh, Bell Tower dude. Uh, yeah, Clock Tower guy. Yeah, did you check out the documentary? Uh, I did. I did. I did. Yeah, it was pretty decent, man. I, there, there were some really good interviews in there. Yeah, man. I, 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 I watched that one, and then uh, I found two other ones. And by the time I was on the third one, I was actually starting to feel for that guy a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, I, I kind of understand where uh, the old boy was coming from. You know why he might have done something like he did. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I have some issues with some of it, of course. Uh, like for one, his mom. No, it was his wife. It was his wife. Where he said in the note, uh, "Well, we'll get into that in the episode. We'll get into that in the episode." All right. So this, as you guys have probably already figured out is uh, we're going to be talking about Charles Whitman today, the Texas sniper. Um, the, at the time, up until I think it was, uh, until I think it, until, yeah, um, well, they, wait, uh, not Waco, um, until Oklahoma City, it was like the, uh, the worst mass murder, you know, in, in American history. Um, there's been movies about it. There's been songs about it. Uh, one a piece of one of the songs is going to be in the intro for this, but uh, yeah, he uh, he 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 climbed up to the top of a tower and he uh, he did he 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 did a homicide or few or two, um, or, or several, and one uh, of them took a very 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 long time yeah. to come to conclusion. What was it like? Fucking fifteen years or some 30, shit like that? Uh, Thirty five years. years. Yeah, like wow. Talk about fucking delayed reaction, man. <laughs> like yeah. that was now that is a feat that most of these folks that we're gonna talk about just cannot claim that they were brought back to notoriety by a death that they actually had a hand in thirty five years after their own death. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, he he was he was voted most likely to succeed. <laughs> so yeah, well, the guy that, was he uh, did. Yeah, um, he was like a child prodigy too. It was like he is the worst person you would have wanted to be a sniper. Like he was a child prodigy with guns from the time he was a kid. Uh, like he was like really good at it, like ridiculously good. Yeah, when his dad wasn't beating or drowning him, uh, he was teaching him how to shoot, clean, and maintain weapons. <laughs> um, yeah, he got him yeah. his gifts from the time he was like seven or eight years old. So yeah, he knew his way around a trigger for sure. Yeah, uh, he uh, his father said that he could plug the eye out of a squirrel by the time he was sixteen. <laughs> so yeah, that this is this is the guy who we got up here. Um, he actually had a really high IQ. Uh, I think it was like a 39 at age six. Uh, his one IQ was 39. Yeah, it'd be 139. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> big, big, big difference there, brother. IQ of 39, he is the squirrel. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and it's like anytime he achieved, it was like very encouraged. His parents like loved him for it. And anytime he like slacked off or you know, didn't succeed. He was, he was beaten half to death by his dad. Um, and despite all that, he was actually making a good name for himself. I mean, he, the kid joined up in the military because of that heavy stuff. Um, and you know, got high marks in the military his first run through it and got the scholarship was actually attending college. I mean, this guy had it all, you know, a, a yeah, girl um, that got married. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. She, Some could say that was the moment that it uh, started going downhill, because you know, right well, about then it started going downhill. <laughs> yeah, it didn't get it didn't get any better after that. Um, so he gets married at uh, let's see to a twenty twenty year old Kathleen Leisner Lesner. I don't know. It became twenty year old Kathleen Whitman. Um, uh, I read somewhere it was a yeah okay. Yeah, they got married in Texas, um, in Needville, Texas. Uh, and right after his wedding, you know, he was still in college, and his grades actually got a little bit better. But the Marines, for whatever reason, they had like him on a scholarship or something. The Marines were like, "Yeah, that's that's not good enough for us," and so they cut off his scholarship, and he was ordered back to active duty. Did you see that part? Uh, no, I actually had skimmed over that part of why he, uh, had lost it, but I know when he went back to college, he couldn't get it back. So he was a little upset about that. Yeah. Yeah. Marines were like, no, that's, you're not doing good enough. You gotta come back. And then he ended up, uh, had a gambling problem, like kind of out of nowhere. Um, he, but before this, before he got this gambling, uh, he was at Camp Lejeune and he like saved this other Marine. Like a um a jeep kind of like rolled over and he got trapped. The other marine got wrapped, trapped under it under an uh, in an embankment, and this dude like kind of lifts the jeep up and like injured like uh, yeah Whitman lifted the jeep up, injuring himself doing it to save the dude's life. So I mean it was like he was, you know, a good guy at this time. You know it was. <laughs> yeah, just this time about his worst thing. daggone thing he'd ever done was you know poach a deer, you know kill a deer out of season here in North Carolina. I mean, but you know, the way the military was feeding him then, yeah, who could blame him? <laughs> right. Uh, he was actually court-martialed for gambling usury, which is like uh, loans, 
um, possession of a f- personal firearm on base and threatening another Marine over a $30 loan. So, which he's like, you know, he's, he's trying to be a little Tony Soprano. <laughs> I remember this <laughs> is demand- all after he got married. Yeah. Yeah. So he's trying to, you know, he, Plus his gambling problem, everything's kind of falling apart a little bit out of nowhere. Uh, he actually got demoted from a E3 to an E1, and that's that's when you've really fucked up. Like you really fucked up when they demote you two whole ranks. You know, um, during his court martial, he started to write a diary called the Daily Record of C.J. Whitman. Right, and uh, throughout it, like there's there's little clips from that. In his like, uh, he he is also the book he started using, I think, for his suicide notes, and he started typing them up and all that. Uh, his friends would come over, like right before it happened. Um, one of their friends came over, and he's sitting there with the typewriter, typing up this like sort of manifesto thing, talking about how he's gonna, you know, he he decided that he has to kill his wife tonight. Um, it was it was it was pretty crazy, like everything. So his all this his, his life starts to fall apart with Marines. He gets uh, demoted. Um, his uh he, he's fucking up in school. He can't seem to get his shit together. And then his parents separate, and uh, she divorced her her his mom divorced her dad because of his continued physical abuse. So he drives down to Florida to help her move back to Texas. And he was so he was so scared that his father would like show up and start fucking around like beating him or whatever and you know he's well known with his guns and whatnot so he had a policeman like sit outside while she got her shit together um his little brother left and moved uh moved up there with his mother too and i really don't know what happened to him after that like he's not mentioned in the uh the later on like his his little brother no the only time i saw really mention of him it was uh when they mentioned that both the kids got uh guns and stuff like that for presents as they were growing up and they all had pretty much the same upbringing in a very strict authoritarian household with a man who when he didn't get his way you know tried to force it right right um he his father had spent more than a thousand dollars in their time money which would be like almost nine thousand dollars nowadays on long distance phone calls to his wife and his son begging them to return and, you know, asking his son to convince her mom, his mom to come back. Um, so during this time, and he picked it up during the military, but during this time, Whitman's amphetamine abuse starts to go up. Like, they, he was, he started off on in the military, which during the time, like, it was kind of, dexedrine was pretty popular <laughs> among, like, uh, soldiers and whatnot. Um, so, but he, uh, he, he got hooked on it, and he, he was starting to kind of spiral on it. And he also started having like these severe headaches that he described as tremendous headaches. Right? Um, he went to a he went to a, like a bunch of doctors, a bunch of doctors about it. Um, he went to one psychiatrist and told the psychiatrist that he was he he literally told the psychiatrist that he was having thoughts of climbing up on this tower and shooting people. And yeah, that was late. That was the second trip through college. His first one, he actually mentioned yeah. it to his friend that that would be a perfect place yeah. to hold up. Yeah, well, that was in the first. I was, I was, I was thought that was in his return to college. But yeah, he uh, like his, his like this girl in class like told the teacher or whatever. Like he's talking about climbing up on the tower and shooting people, and the teacher like got 
put his hands on the desk and like got in his face and was like, I forget what it was. It was basically something like, do you think that would be a very good idea or some shit like that? Basically a useless statement. Yeah, that, then, that, that's know, exactly what a Marine needs to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you've seen Full Metal Jacket, you know, where uh, he, Arlie Ermey like actually mentions Charles Whitman. He's like, you know, this, these, uh, these, so what a dedicated Marine can do with a rifle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was the perfect Marine. He's he actually just, had this thought in his head for a while, pretty much ever since yeah. he's seen that clock tower for the very first and, time. And see, I think at first it was just a, you know, kind of like a thing like, hey, that would be, you know, that'd be a good place to hold up because he had that Marine training. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like, I ain't saying he's he's planning this from this. I'm just saying that thought got no, planted the, into the, his brain way there. back then. And then it, he couldn't get out. And he went, when he went to that psychologist, he even told the psychologist, look, these are, I can't get rid of these thoughts. Like I can't. And it's like, it sat there in his brain and just ate at him. Just that tower, just constantly haunting him in the back of his brain. And I mean, it sounds like I'm I'm embellishing it, but no, that's that's kind of how how it was. Like, yeah, that's what's in the doctor's notes with that that they shared in the interview, anyway. Yeah, it, it's kind of how it was. Like everywhere he went in this town, he'd look up and see that tower, and it just it was just always like calling him. You know, uh, it, it was it was bad. Um, and just for anybody says, well, the doctor should have done something better. The doctor did say, you know, let's continue this next week. Um, the, the, he wasn't showing signs that he was actually wanting to do it, just that he was having thoughts of it. And, you know, even today, you know, that might, I mean, well, it'd probably draw a little more concern, but, you know, we wouldn't actually con contain anybody and, you know, you know put, them in a, put them away for having a thought. Yeah, and the fact that he was, he seeked help for it, you know, was shows that at least on some level, you know, I mean, he was he was trying not to, but yeah, but unfortunately, I, I, he didn't come back the next week. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he did not. He had other plans. So, uh, did you see he the the list of stuff that he took with him? Oh boy, was this guy prepared! <laughs> this ain't no dag on sixteen year old kid that stole daddy's car and went down the road to shoot something. Yeah, he, this guy went to he he went to commit a crime. Like the dude, he won't going to go short for nothing. He had three and a half gallons of gasoline, three and a half gallons of water. I got I, I enough food for there. two weeks. Freaking you know, <laughs> two rifles, two handguns, a brand new shotgun, over seven hundred rounds of ammunition. This guy was stacked. Yeah, like there was, <laughs> there, there was so much stuff he had with him. Let me. See, I had to list some fucking where. Yeah. Okay. He had uh, twelve gauge, knives. yeah, yeah. He had twelve gauge shotgun, uh, Remington seven hundred with four Le four times Leopold scope. Scope, almost said Scotch. Uh, six millimeter Remington rifle, M one carbine, a three fifty seven Magnum, a Galici Briesca pistol, pistol, and a Luger pistol. Uh, he had a machete and a scabbard, a hatchet, an ammunition box with a gun cleaning kit a Camillus hunting knife and scabbard, a Randall knife inscribed with his name, a locking pocket knife. The dude was not short of knives. He had a uh, one-inch steel rebar, or well, a foot of steel rebar. Like I said, he I had, started to relate to him, but the knives. He had a hunter's body bag. Dude brought his own body bag. Uh, he had Whitman's, he had a um, channel master, like transistor radio, a little AM, FM radio, so he could listen to the the chatter about himself. Uh, he had a blank notebook, a pen, a green towel, 
a white three and a half gallon jug full of water, a red three and a half gallon jug of gasoline, nylon and cotton ropes and clothesline in case he had to dry his clothes. Uh, 1954 premium toy compass, a hardware receipt, hammer, canteen, binoculars, lighter fluid, alarm clock, pipe wrench, flashlight, green and white, <laughs> two rolls of tape, green duffel bag, extension cord, gloves, eyeglasses, earplugs, deodorant, <laughs> toilet paper, food, 12 cans of food, two cans of condensed milk, bread, honey, and spam. <laughs> Planters, nuts and raisins, and some sweet rolls. Like he put all this. He was setting up shop, bro. Yeah, he he came to stay. <laughs> he had no intention of coming down off that tower. Clearly alive because he brought his own body bag. Like <laughs> the dude was prepared to like the nth degree. Insane. Um. So the day before the shootings. He uh, had picked up that. Uh, he he went and picked up his wife from her summer job, um, and then met his mother at uh, at for for lunch, right? And at four at four, he him and his wife visited their friends. Uh, at six forty five, he begins typing out a suicide note while his wife was at her night shift work or night job, right? And the suicide note, with this a portion of it, is quote: "I do not quite understand what it is that compels me to type this letter." Perhaps it is to leave some vague reason for the actions I have recently performed. I do not really understand myself these days. I am supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started, I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. These thoughts constantly recur and requires tremendous mental effort to concentrate on useful and progressive tasks. So, he's like, it's a fucked up cry for help. You know, I, I kind of feel like the whole the whole shooting was kind of a fucked up cry for help. Um, he requested an autopsy be performed on his remains after he was dead to see if there was like a biological cause for his uh, continuing and like super intense headaches. He also wrote that he had decided to kill both his mother and his wife. Um, it's kind of it seemed like his reasons were kind of unclear. He uh, believed his mother had never enjoyed life as she entitled to. And that, in the fucked up part, his wife has been a fine wife to me as any man could ever hope to have. Uh, he mentioned that he wanted to kill his wife in the, he, like, he had decided to kill her when I pick her up tonight from work or whatever. He um, decided, like, he said that he wanted to kill her in the most painless way possible. So he stabs her with a bayonet five times in the chest while she's asleep. Like, she wakes up during this, of course, but. Yeah, that, that, that's a hell of a way to say I love you. Yeah, like the most painless way possible. Like he had guns, he had a bayonet that could have, like, I don't know, gone in her brain or something. Maybe made it more painless. Like if he was going to kill her, he he definitely failed at doing it the most painless way he could. Yeah, he's smart enough um, to figure out how to poison her. That way she just goes um, to sleep. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, that uh, was personal. He, that was fucking personal. He he beat his mother unconscious before stabbing her in the heart. Um. Strangled her first. And, his mom yeah, knew what yeah, he, was well, happening the entire time. Yeah, there's, there's just how he did it is disputed. It says, but officials believed he re rendered her unconscious before stabbing her in the heart. Um, he left a note beside her body saying, "To whom it may concern, I have just taken my mother's life. I am very upset over having done it. However, I feel 
If there is a heaven, she is definitely there now. I am truly sorry. Let there be no doubt in your mind that I love this woman with all my heart. So then he goes back home, you know, kills his wife five times by stabbing her five times in the chest, uh, covers her body with sheets, and then goes right back to the the typewritten note he had, you know, started the previous night when his friends were over. Friends interrupted. Eight one sixty six Monday three a.m. Both dead. And uh, he continues. I imagine it appears that I brutally killed both of my loved ones. I was only trying to do a quick, thorough job. If my life insurance policy is pay is valid, please pay off my debts. Donate the rest to a mental health foundation. Maybe research can prevent further tragedies of this type. And then he gets really, you know, the real important part is give our dog to my in-laws. Tell them Kathy loves Sochi very much. <laughs> if you can find your, find in yourselves to grant my last wish, cremate me after the autopsy. Um. He also left house uh, instructions in his house, requested the two rolls of camera, he, camera film he had be developed, and wrote personal notes to each of his brothers. Uh, he wrote on an envelope labeled Thoughts for the Day, 8166. I could never quite make it. These thoughts are too much for me. Um, he then called his wife's supervisor to tell her that she wouldn't be able to come into work today. Same with his mother's work. Um, yeah, so. He left supposedly now, left a note on the door of his mother's house so people wouldn't go and check up on her. Yeah, I I heard something about that, but I didn't actually. I, I never actually found it when I was looking through, so I didn't pull it over here to the side. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of agree with a doctor that was uh, part of one of these um, um, documentaries we I watched while I was uh, at work, and yeah, she states that yeah, somebody to kill someone with a knife, and. I agree with this part. Is it's that's an extremely personal act. You got to get up yeah. close. You got you're getting blood on your hands. Um, so regardless of what he said, he he killed them in a very and it was like hatred almost. You know, he killed them violently. Killed them. Yeah, um, that 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 was, somebody's done something that you see as wrong to you, whether it is or not, but you see it as wrong. No. They've wronged you in some way in your mind, um, and she goes on to think that uh with the mother it could stem from you know maybe she didn't do enough to save him or that she was so weak that you know she stuck with that man for so long all, all kinds of possibilities but more likely that it's more that he was a kid and she didn't save him um and with the wife um there was some talk uh, about he may have been the same kind of man that he was shown to be in his home yeah so at the, at the beginning of their of their marriage she had said to one of her friends or a family member or something that he had hit her a couple of times but it, it did seem like that had come to a stop um yeah it, but the, your your woman the the love of your life that you you enjoyed so much time together with if you hit them they're never going to look at you the same and if somebody's got some kind of twisted thoughts that could definitely uh, cause some issues. Yeah, um, uh, without a doubt. And for years, actually, because I I'd never read the the manner of death in which he had doled out to his mother and wife, but I had always been of the of the mindset that he killed his mother and his wife so that they wouldn't be like um, embarrassed, you know, sort of like brought out into the into the limelight of what was going on. And he let, you know, and he wanted his father to be. 
uh, he wanted his father to live with the stain of what he was getting ready to do. <clears throat> so about 11.35, he uh, arrives on the uh, Austin campus. Um, I don't know about himself. that last statement, bro, because yeah, the Austin last campus? No, about him wanting his father <laughs> to feel the stain of it. I'm not sure that he felt any kind of hard way about his father, honestly. Um, well, other than the fact I, that he I know was, he doesn't now. Uh, 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 yeah, I, I don't think he ever did. Um, yeah, he in, was any kind of dad, he, heavy negative way, anyway. Not not any hatred kind of a way that would require some type of revenge. Right, right. Uh, he was actually asking his father for advice and for help on how to deal with that shit uh, for a while, according to some uh, of the other talks. Yeah. Um. Well, like I said, that was those were my thoughts before. I, I heard the manner of death and I, I found out more about it. This is what, from what I learned years ago, that's what I thought had happened. And I was, I was clearly wrong about that. Ah, um, I got you. I missed the yeah, subtlety yeah. in that context then. My bad. Yeah, no problem. But yeah, uh, so August 1st, uh, 1135, uh, he, he lies to the security guard, tells him that, tells him that he's a research assistant. Um, and he has like a rented dolly with this big ass footlocker. With you know everything in the goddamn world in it, yeah, you know, because fucking... <laughs> that's not suspicious going into a, a a school building with at all. And you know, and we'll get back into this, and uh, we'll have to go into this again with with the Vegas shooting. But when somebody shows up and just starts carrying huge things upstairs. <laughs> like huge boxes of shit, you might want to at least should... you know kind of ask the question. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it it might not end well, but. Maybe this all could have been avoided if the guard had said, "Hey, uh, what's that? Uh, what's that big ass box there?" But you know, Texans minding their own business and shit. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he goes up to the he. Well, he he killed. He, what was it? Who who was he killed at the bottom? Um, uh, the girl that was filling in with the for the receptionist. Um, right, right. Yeah, that's she right. she knew him and knew he wasn't really supposed to be there. Unfortunately, so yeah, he he didn't take no chance on somebody running out and ruining his plan before he got started. So yeah, no. Unfortunately, she was the first one to fall. Yeah, and uh, he like kind of dragged her body over behind a couch or whatever. And, yeah, and then tried to barricade the stairway to go while he, while he went up. Yeah, which he did a shitty job of. And there was like this other couple, yeah, a family had, of five. Yeah, that like came down and like saw the red stain and thought it was like varnish. <laughs> oh, that that one. Yeah, that that little. Yeah, that was a couple. Yeah, he killed the other the family of five, right? Uh, yeah, he shotgun blasted, killed two on the stairs when they hopped this little barricade that he put up because they wanted to go up top. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, folks. Is... He barricaded <laughs> it off. And my thing is, there was an elevator. You know? There was totally an elevator. <laughs> I don't I don't understand their their desire to go up these stairs. But there was an elevator. People weren't lazy in the 60s. It's 28 floor. Well, yeah, 27 floors of elevator. Then you got to climb up the last flight of stairs. But yeah, 28 floors. I think those were the stairs. Oh, from you think uh, the stairs from the 27th floor to the 28th were the stairs that they tried to. Okay. Now, see, I didn't gather all that. I didn't gather all that. That actually makes a lot more sense. <laughs> 
Yeah, because yeah, he, he went up the elevator, I think, and then blocked off the stairs when he got up to the top. Wouldn't all he had to have done was like was leave something in the elevator door so that the elevator wouldn't go back down? Wouldn't um, that have made more sense? Um, from uh, uh, an engineer, a kid who was studying engineering, um, I'm pretty sure he should have thought of how to cut the power to the whole fucking building. I mean, that would have been ideal if you're going to do this. I that's one thing is like, why didn't he do something to stop people from coming up or? You know, no, what he did was he fucking wedged the damn door with the dolly. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was dumb. Um, All that rope, he could have tied it off to something where it would have been hard to get in. No, the, the dolly works. So um, so he starts, he gets up there, he sets up, he blocks off the door. So and much for that 139 IQ. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was probably getting eaten away by a tumor at this point, maybe. Um, but yeah, he uh, he gets up to the observation deck and he just starts firing. Um, it, they the way it was made, it was like he had a perfect wall to kind of hide behind with all these like little downspout areas, eighteen inch thick concrete. Yeah, dude. Yeah, like <laughs> ridiculously thick. Like he Port had holes perfect... on every single side. Had he, uh, yeah, had he disabled the elevator, they would have had to knock that building down to get him out of there. <laughs> like, he, he had actually a pretty good spot, you know, for doing what he was doing. And if you, when you're sitting there, could, when you can see like the video of the, of his rifle, like going out those little fucking like, uh, downspout holes, they look just like those archer windows, like old, uh, like old castles or whatnot, the archer slits. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it was, like, dude, the dude had a perfect setup. Like, he thought about it for fucking ever, so, you know, he had plenty of time to plan it. Um, yeah, he planned it pretty damn well, except for, you know, not taking out the power of the building. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Then he made the most questionable decision that I have ever I've heard in somebody wanting to go and do something like this so far. And the one thing that I actually hold against him most of all, his first target. So, yeah, he could have done so many others, right? So, the first people he cites in on is this is a couple. And the woman, she's like, what, eight months pregnant? Yeah, 18, 19 years old, eight months pregnant, you know, walking there with her beau, you know, enjoying the sun out in the you know, college campus. And then all of a sudden, pow, you hear, yeah, you, he, you, know, you hear a crack in the distance. And, you know, well. Yeah, he cited her and then he focused, he aimed the shot for her belly. For her, you know, her baby bump. Um, like the shot went through the baby, killed the baby, uh, like just shattered her pelvis and like ripped open her arteries and whatnot. Um, and so she goes down, but she's not dead. Her boyfriend bends down to help, but then he gets shot over dead. You know, the inconsiderate prick just died, you know, while his girlfriend was laying there bleeding. I, I you know, it's just totally yeah. inconsiderate of him, you know? Just just die like that, right? And she actually lived, so she had to remember this shit. Yeah, she had to remember laying there, watching her fucking baby daddy fucking die right beside her while her with you know, I mean it was, it was fucking horrible. Um he the shots go on for like what, ninety minutes? Something like that, minutes. yeah. Ninety, ninety ninety five minutes. Yeah, it was yeah. definitely it was it was a good long while. Yeah, he uh, over the ni next 96 minutes, he shot and killed 14 people, 
including an unborn child and injured 31 others. Um, yeah, like the, you see, there's one thing is, uh, one, one person thought it was like, they thought the, the shots were no, noise from a construction site or that people, they thought that people fall to the ground were part of the theater group or anti-war protest. Like they had yeah, no idea. Some like, they, stuff there. There was, a, there was a whole bunch of like disbelief, man. Um, the, well, not like that has ever happened here, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you had some people from Nam. You know, I think they kind of picked up real quick what was going on. People that had just come back from Nam. That one guy they did an interview on. Uh, he's he he looked a little shell shocked, and his shirt's all covered in blood. You know, and they he went and saved one person. He went to go save another one, and that person was already dead. He was talking about they were dead weight. It was hard to move with them. Yeah, like not like one was passed out. He 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 knows the difference. Well, I mean, they showed there's video of him picking up that guy. And you see, like, where the the person who he picks up, you see where their head is. And when they pick him up, there's this, you know, old black and white image. But it it looks like there's his brains were just left on the sidewalk behind him. Um, and it's like I'm sitting there looking at that. I'm, I asked David, I'm like, is that is that brains on the sidewalk? He's like, I don't know. You can't really. It's just like a black mass. I'm like, cool. His head was there just before that, <laughs> and. Yeah, so yeah, this dude was dead weight for sure. His his brains were on the on the side. It was a horrible thing, man. Like it was it was violent as shit. And he was going from like side to side, you know. Like he would shoot off in one direction, he'd 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 find a target, hit him, pull the gun back, go to the next side, find a target, hit it, move to the other yeah, side. So you never but that know. That sweet spot on the western side, right straight up the strip. Yeah, he, he really liked that spot a lot. But you never knew where the next shot was going to be coming from. So once you got to cover, you had to stay covered because you never knew if he was just look if he happened to be looking your way. And like if you you get a lot of footage of it, and it's like it looks like the like he's right there. But when you see footage of the actual people on the ground with cameras looking up, he's way the fuck up there. Like yeah, it's <laughs> uh, two hundred and thirty some odd feet. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was over two hundred feet. Yeah, up. the the news guy was talking about they had to take lens from another camera and put it over their camera so they could get zoomed in enough to actually see, and they could actually see his gun coming out of the porthole. Yeah, um, this guy would pop up, pop out, acquire a target, fire that round, and disappear in a matter of just a second or two. Um, four minutes after he began shooting. Uh, a history professor was the first one to call the Austin Police Department. Um, Patrolman Billy Speed, one of the first officers to show up. And I was looking through like all the different reports, and his was one of them. Um, but you know, he he uh, he didn't have his, his didn't have many details in it. I'll read from one of them here in a minute. Um, but his his didn't have a lot of details because he uh, one of the first officers to arrive took a, took refuge with a colleague behind the stone wall. Whitman found a six-inch gap between the columns of the wall and killed him. Like, he found a six-inch gap from, like, 300 feet away. And yeah, from the top fucking, of the wall to a, a big, giant tree limb that was blocking. He's right in the middle of it. Yeah, he found this one little gap, and he got him. Um, another officer, Officer Houston McCoy, heard the shooting on his radio. Uh as he looked for a way into the tower, a student offered to help, saying he had a, way, a rifle at home. And then the cops, the cops, like, all right, cool. So he drives his student home to get the rifle. Uh, like 
And his, he one. had a long shot of uh, over 500 yards. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty good with what he had, you know. That's, yeah, back, back then, that was that was almost as far as you're going to shoot accurately with what you have there. I mean, you, the, you had some, you know, the high-tiered military guys, you know, that had practice in the war that, you know, could get longer shots, you know, closer to a, a half a mile. But, yeah, that was, that was almost as good as it gets. Yeah, um, it just, it, it was a, like, crazy, crazy thing, man. There was just for over an hour and a half, just gunshots, people dropping, people hiding, and he's still finding victims because people are trying to get the hell out of there. Yeah, he like, wasn't in a hurry. He was, he was selecting the shots. This guy didn't fire all 700 rounds and, you know, just get a few people. He, he was taking his time. Yeah, by this time, it's starting to get on the news, and, um, they're starting to list off the the news reporter. Did you see this part? The news reporter listing off like the names of people that have been known to have been shot at this point. Yeah, and, and they had another station guy call him in, tell him to ask him to read it again. Yeah, he was like, "This is real important." I think uh, I think my grandson was on that list, and it was. Yeah, like, it, it turned out to be his grandson. Um, yeah, it's it one of the only times they ever to actually mention the victims before the families are notified because so many people were dying in a place that so many different people uh, from different places are yeah, at. That yeah, were, it was it, it, the it only actually way to become keep people out of there. It was the only way to keep people from coming in there because traffic got people were trying to get in there and get their people back out because they didn't know if who had been killed or not. All they knew is that there was a madman or possibly two on top of this tower, and, and you know just shooting people at will. You know, is is nobody knew, so they figured, all right, well, we're going to put these names out so that people can have some sort of closure. You know, um, but you know, this is while the shooting's still going on, and uh, they eventually got them. Um, they had a hard time for a while getting up to them because of all the people, <laughs> all the all, all the good Texans with their guns <laughs> were firing their deer rifles up, and there are still bullet holes you can see, but you know on the tower but they're they're having kind of trouble getting up there they didn't know if like they were going to get out there and get hit by a by somebody down on the ground <laughs> so they, it, it was that they were keeping and pinned down but they were also it, they saved some lives honestly like the fact that they were they they kept whitman pinned down long enough for cops to figure something out but they also the cops were were pinned down as well um i have Actually, the police report from the the guy, the cop. Uh, let's see. Yeah, all right. Oh, this was Billy Speed. That's weird. All right. Um. All right. So, it, it, I'll just read from his report here. This officer was at home preparing his dinner when he heard on the twelve o'clock news that a man was on the University of Texas tower shooting at people. Contact of the station was asked if help was needed and was told to go back to the scene. This officer parked his car in the 2000 block of San Antonio and proceeded onto the campus from Guadalupe and 21st Street. Ran from building to building until he reached the main building on the south side and saw six persons lying on the mall. So before he's even got to this building, to the main building, he, they, he'd seen six people laying, like, just, just laid out. Um... He tried to contact the police station to get an armored truck to remove the bodies. Unable to contact the station, this officer went up the tower to the on the elevator to the 26th floor. 
The officer met Officer Jerry Day. Has the other guy, a DPS man and a Mister Crump who had a rifle. The DPS man and Officer Day were getting communications organized while this officer and Mister Crump proceeded to go upstairs, covering one another. When we proceeded upstairs, and did you see the thing where uh, they get up the elevator and the other guys coming down the stairs, <laughs> and there's like this standoff between the cops. No, I didn't. Did you hear nothing about that one? All right, so as they're coming, so this one cop, he he tried to go out there and he couldn't, he he couldn't get out there because of all the shots coming down from the ground. So he went back downstairs to the elevator, and as the as he gets there, the elevator opens and he's he's already kind of you know shook. So he pulls out his uh he pulls out his pistol and the elevator opens. And there's these like three guys there, cops, and one of them has a shotgun. And the other two have their thirty eights out. So they're all just sitting there staring at each other for a moment, like oh fuck. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't I no, I didn't see that one. <laughs> yeah, there that I saw one one I think it was Jerry Day uh was on the interview and he was like yeah he's like we all we we drew down on him we had him you know <laughs> then once we realized who everybody was you know there was a moment of like nervous laughter and patting backs it's like man, they, they almost just shot each other <laughs> um but yeah they get up to the landing and they find a dead young boy a dead woman a wounded woman and a wounded young man so this would be that family yeah the other one he took off running to go uh, go get help yeah. Um says this officer and Mr. Crump proceeded on up and found a desk blocking the end of the stairway. Uh this officer, Mr. Crump, pushed the desk around and secured this floor and found a dead woman behind a couch where she had been dragged. We checked the landing by looking out the west and east and south door and were unable to see anyone. Uh this officer then opened the door by knocking off a dolly which was propped against the door and crawled east and north, but not still unable to see anyone. So this old he's up there with his radio and he's listening to the radio reports of everything going on and there's gunshots coming down from the ground. So he doesn't Charles doesn't hear all the noise from the cops coming to him. Like he's he's pretty well distracted. Right. I did hear um, the cops I'd mentioned that, you know, when the dolly fell, he was expecting him to um receive some fire, but you know, Charles just didn't even pay him no mind. No, he was he was actually like sighted he he yeah, he was sighted his rifle on someone else. Uh, looking south, it says, uh, at this time, Officer Houston McCoy was behind this officer when Mr. Crump proceeded west. This officer got to the northeast corner and looked around and saw a subject sitting with a rifle in his hands looking south. The officer, well, this officer opened fire to protect Mr. Crump, who would be facing him when he come around the southwest corner. After this, officer fired the first shot, hitting the subject. The subject turned and began to point the rifle towards this officer. This officer fired the remaining rounds, emptied his gun into this guy, and Officer McCoy fired the shotgun twice. The officer then took the shotgun from Officer McCoy and fired one shot at the subject as he was still moving. Subject had a transistor radio on real loud broadcasting the news. This officer then dropped the shotgun, my gun, and began to shout, I got him, stop firing. This officer then ran down the stairs to DPS man to advise him to contact everyone and to stop firing. This officer then became exhausted and weak and left the scene as I felt like I was going into shock. So this guy, he like takes the gun, the shotgun from the other guy, walks straight up to Whitman, who's pretty much incapacitated at this point, but still breathing and just fires a shotgun around into him point blank, just blasts him. Um, 
there's there's photos you can you can find them out there there's photos of his body on the observation deck and he is they they peeled his they they peeled his muffin cap back he is done he is he, he's fucked um <laughs> it was it was pretty rough and you see how big this guy was they they there's video of them carrying his body out of the out of the tower in his little body bag hey, he was a beefy boy but his feet are sticking out like a foot past the end of the bag. And there's like five people carrying him down. Like this dude was, he was fucking huge. Um, yeah. He was a little overweight at the time too, which is one of the, that, that mentioned part of his little depression thing. Yeah. Thing that, you know, he had mentioned to one of his friends that, you know, he was sad that he was, you know, a little overweight. Uh, and, um, but yeah, one thing that I've heard in one of the versions, I heard three different versions, um, about, it was that the the initial shot that was up at the tower when the the cops and that the civilian dude came up with his rifle um yeah. was that uh he freaked out and accidentally fired his gun which got uh Whitman to turn in that direction so that they could push out of their door and you know take a shot at him yeah um so we're going to get to the autopsy. And this, it, I actually didn't know the controversy of the autopsy. I actually thought that they did the autopsy and they found a brain tumor and that was that. Um, but no, no, there was, uh, there's questions on this autopsy. Um, and on the brain tumor itself, it makes me kind of wonder because where this, where the brain tumor was, um, or was supposedly, uh, so it, the, all right, let me back up. Let me back, I'm getting ahead of myself with the story here. Um, <laughs> So the like, the sheriff, uh, I guess it was the sheriff or the cop or whatnot. He goes, they, he finds out they're getting ready to do the autopsy on Whitman. He's like, "All right, cool, I'll be down there in the morning." And he gets down there on uh, on like uh, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and the autopsy had already been done. And the guy who did the autopsy was like from Bulgaria or something like that like somewhere behind the iron curtain and so like there was there was questions about like his uh um like his credentials but yeah the the guy says uh so where, where's where's Whitman? He's like, oh, i've already sent i've finished the autopsy and sent the body back to the funeral home it's probably en route to florida by now and uh guy goes all right well what did you find and uh the medical examiner said well he had there was a brain tumor and he says, okay, where? And he says, it's like pecan sized. And it was at the, uh, kind of like, is in the, the pons area of the brain. It's like right at the base of his spinal cord. And the problem there is like, yes, a tumor can cause violent behavior and shit like that. But those tumors are usually found in like the frontal region of the brain, you know, like your, your frontal cortex and shit and around your amygdala. This one was the, this tumor was like below all that. And if he had a tumor that size, he should have been showing like neurological symptoms, you know, like trembling hands and, you know, um, like problems walking probably fucking like, but he should have had some more serious, some obvious physical problems. Yeah. That and part of the brain is the, uh, the autonomic part, you know, where the instinctual bit, you know, that's how you breathe, how you move your fingers, how your muscles actually work, yeah. get your balance. You know, stuff like that, you know, stuff that you should be able to do, even if you had no conscious thought yeah. at all. Animals do it. We do it. Everything does it. 
Yeah, they said a tumor that size in that location, he should not have only not been up that tower. He should have been dead. Um, so there's there's questions there as to what was going on. Um, it's, a, it's the opinion, like there was a task force that came together and looked at it, and it was the opinion of the task force that the relationship between the brain tumor and his actions can't be established with clarity. So I always thought it was a tumor that did it. And now I'm like, well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe there was something else going on there. Um, I think that intrusive thought of the the tower kind of that that might have been a life unto itself. Um, and I, I I don't know really how to explain it, but there are there are things like even I get like there's certain things I'll fixate on, you know, and it's it's hard to get things out of my head sometimes once they're there. You know, they've I've never done anything like this, and it's never been anything on this scale. But there's there's been ideals that I fixate on for a while that are intrusive. You know, they, they, they're my ideas, but they don't feel like my ideas and they just get there and they get louder and louder. I think that's what happened here. Um, I, I think it, he, he wanted help and I don't think he, ever, he knew that he, I don't think he believed he could get help while alive. Um, but it, it, it's, yeah, his, his shooting stands out. Um. I can't, yeah, it definitely know, does. Uh, like, like I said, yeah, we don't know exactly what caused it. I mean, he had a lot, a great life with a slightly abusive parent, and you know, well, the, very abusive. But yeah, well, yeah. I, 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 I've met people whose parents, you know, chained them. You know, I hear, I hear stories of people being locked in cellars and you know never actually seeing other people. Um, you know, you, you, there, there was, you, yeah, getting, getting your ass whooped. Fair. I mean, yeah. And I have to say that that's slight because, you know, hell, that happened to me. Um, well, and I, I would yeah. never say that my life was any worse than somebody that actually got abused by having food, you know, withheld, tortured by it, um, chained to, a, you know, a, a, a tree, chained to you, into your room, locked in there for years. And that's fucking abuse. Now, I'm not making light of any of it, but, you know, slightly abused. Right, right. Yeah, it could have been much worse. He didn't get burned by cigarettes every single day. He, you, know, you know, shit, man. I had parents yeah, that made me go it, out it, in the that, damn yard it, and cut grass with a fucking tried, ruler and a freaking pair time. of scissors. His dad did try to drown him that one time, but that he beat the crap out of him and important. threw him in the pool. Now, which one of them were drunk? <laughs> that depends on which story you're reading or and listening to. Exactly. Uh, the what, basically what I gather is his dad got him drunk, then got mad at him for drinking. That could very well be. You, know, you shouldn't follow the peer pressure kind of a lesson. I get it. You know, I've had pretty much the same lesson taught to me by you know a slightly abusive father figure. But uh, yeah, it, it, he had a life. I mean, it wasn't the perfect life, but he turned into a very you know pretty much model upstanding citizen. You know, good example of what you know people should shoot for. And then for some reason, shit started sliding downhill from him. Now, I joke about the fact that it was, you know, when he got married, you know, you know why not joke about it? Because, you know, that kind of thinking is I a mean, joke. But, yeah, I mean, to be on the serious side of it, like I said, maybe he became the man he thought he was supposed to be. And that love of his life didn't look at him the same anymore. And that will fuck with a man. So there's a, there's a song by Harry Chapin called Sniper. And, uh, and, and it's about Whitman and in the song, he actually like, he changes, he changes the bullets to questions kind of, 
like every time he fired a shot or killed somebody, he was kind of asking a question, basically like, who am I, you know, am, am I, am I a lover that's never, you know, never been kissed? Am I, you know, it, it's, it's actually a really good song. Um, he kind of, uh, romanticizes it a bit, but I think the, the image of like, there's one line where it's like, uh, his, his question hit, uh, he mentions one of the victims names, like, uh, his second question hit her right between the eyes. You know, it's, it's a very, it's poignant. And I think that actually has a lot to do with it. Like he, he was losing himself and he didn't really know any, you know, he, his life was falling apart and he didn't know what to do. Um, of course, Harry Chapin kind of blamed the mother and the, the wife in the song and, you know, kind of making it like his wife kind of belittled him and his mother was belittling him and his wife was like not affectionate enough. But that doesn't. Hey, would really you be affectionate if somebody punched you in the eye? I mean, no, not really. I mean, even I though mean, we're talking about the '60s, that's still that's that's too close. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So maybe he might have had. You know, I don't think it's their fault, regardless. But even if he, she was being kind of a, a nag or anything like that, which I don't think was the case. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's I, I put up. The, the song in the part of the song in the intro or maybe the outro um i'll figure that out in post but i'm definitely gonna put a clip of the song up there uh it's it, it's one of the better ones about it um but there's several songs there's an episode of the simpsons where uh ned flanders has like this dream like this fantasy of climbing up a clock tower with the rifle and shooting people <laughs> so like it it's lived on in 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 our in the cultural zeitgeist of America ever since. Um, oh, yeah, always- there's a remembrance right, tower right there in the middle of Austin, Texas. You know, everybody's got to look at it every day. Yeah, uh, that was another thing that, was, that brought up, you know, like uh, the Oklahoma City building's gone. Um, the World Trade Centers are gone. But this tower, it still is the, it, it's still sitting there. And it's still like kind of haunting the area with his presence. Yeah. Um, might was... as well call it Whitman tower. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Can, God, I, I would actually, I, I would move to Texas just to vote against that. That would be so horrible. <laughs> well, they'd um, get it taken down and finally replaced with something meaningful. Yeah. And it, you know, even though you can't see them from the ground because it's so high up, there are still bullet holes, you know, all in the side of the tower up there where he was at. And like, um, did you see the picture from Time Magazine? I thought it was like the best like photograph that came out of this whole thing. It was like from behind a window, like there's two bullet holes, and in the window you can see the tower, the 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 clock tower in the distance. Like it was, it was a really good photo. Like, that would have been a really good photo. But yeah, you're gonna have to post that if you can find it. That'd be cool for people to see. Good perspective. But yeah, man, oh, yeah. That, the the main takeaway I've seen for what they did with the damn tower is they actually put a cage up on the damn top of it Dude, so it that like... people couldn't kill themselves on the damn thing that they have to sit there and look at and depress them from every fucking day. It it looks like the uh, the exercise yard for solitary confinement in prison. Yeah, like, it's exactly it... what the hell it looks like. <laughs> it's uh, it's great. Like they they closed it down for years because pe- during the seventies people just started jumping off of it. Like they, they just started committing suicide. Like apparently in droves off this yeah, tower. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You got to sit there and look at where this guy that you probably knew or knew of, 
right here, you know, just go on a rampage and kill all these people for whatever freaking reason. And you got to sit there and stare at that big giant monument to him. Yeah. You're, 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 you're spending all day looking at a tower of death. Um, but what, uh, like the town wouldn't even like entertain the thought of reopening that walk, that, that little walkway, that terrace, unless they had like taken steps to make sure that nobody could jump off of it. Nobody can go shooting off of it under that and well they did uh they they damn sure did and i've been up on towers that were up that high you know and you can see a long way especially like i said long shot over 500 yards especially in texas man you (laughs) that's all flat nothing and just for folks that don't know that's uh that's a bit over a quarter of a mile Yeah, well, apparently most of our listeners are going to be in Eastern Europe, so <laughs> they they go by metric. <laughs> uh, <laughs> four hundred and eighty meters, I want to say. That could something be like that. Yeah, I mean that's close to five hundred meters, man. That's that's a good little ways. No, um, but I yeah, wish that we is flip the metric, man. We're the only fucking targets that don't. Uh, and but that's Charles Whitman. Uh, yeah, you know, he and and this one he didn't like steal his guns or anything like that. He he purchased them, and for all intents and purposes, you know, for anybody that knew him except for his psychologist and you know that girl in school, he was just a normal guy, you know, uh, just a just a regular old Joe, you know, kind of down on his luck, and uh, decided that the rest of uh, the rest of the university need to be down on their luck too, I guess. Now. Just out of my little tiny understanding of the way this, you know, brain thing that we're supposed to have works, um, this amygdala part that is down there, like uh, uh, um, where, like I said, your autonomic functions, your instinct, you know, all that crap. Yeah, fight or flight response. Um, so the right. amygdala, the amygdala is the part of the brain that they actually associate with um, a, a psychopathy, uh, like mostly you're like serial killers and whatnot have like a. a a malformed or deformed or damaged amygdala. And like, there's a lot of evidence that like points to like childhood head traumas. Um, you know, there's, there's several serial killers that their shit started with head trauma. Uh, for instance, uh, Henry Lee Lucas, like his mother, like hit him in the head, front of the head with a like four by four and knocked his ass out for three days, put him in a fucking coma for three days. And you know, after that, with he was a four by four. Really yeah. Fuck, that guy <laughs> ivory brushes and iron skillets, man. He was lucky. Yeah, well, I don't. Uh, if I ever get into the story of Henry Lucas, it might be on here. It might be on uh, Charlie Manson's fanny pack when we get that started up. But uh, yeah, he uh, his mother was a piece of shit, and uh, like she was like he brought home a he brought home a, a pet mule. Like his neighbor had like this donkey, this old ass donkey a, that a what. A, like a donkey, a mule. <laughs> uh, you know, a pet mule? Yeah, so, let me, all right, so his neighbor, his his neighbor God had, damn, like, she uh, knocked the hell out of him. His, his neighbor, like, he had no friends. He's, like, maybe, I think, eight at this time. And uh, he's, he's walking, his mother used to make him, like, go to school in dresses and shit. So he's coming home from school. He's alone. He's crying. He's been beat up at school all day. He's going to go home to a mother that hates him and a dad with no legs. And his mother's like a prostitute in Blacksburg, Virginia in the 30s. It's not a pretty sight. Um, 
so he actually ends up with a bonding with this donkey on like that's on his way home from school and the farmer's like you know what man he's like oh you can have him and he's like oh boy thanks sir and so he starts taking the mule home and the mom comes out while he's out in the yard with his donkey and she don't say a word and she comes back out with a shotgun and splatters that donkey's brains all over her eight-year-old son and beats him to death with a four well not to death but into a coma with a four by four he laid in a corner of the house for like three days till his mom's pimp came over and was like mm, that boy's that boy's dying <laughs> like uh so the pimp takes the son to the hospital like you know when when you're when your best childhood friend is a donkey and the only parent parental figure in your life is your mother's pimp, you know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah you that... come out a little fucked up there. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, that's, uh, that, that's Henry Lucas it has nothing to do with our current topic other than the frontal lobe damage. And well, I was getting at the amygdala a bit that, like like you said, it is on the fight or flight kind of part there where, where some people, I think, have been talking where our caveman brain kind of thing works, you know, just that whole instinctual yeah. part yeah. and how to survive. It, it, it's also the part of the brain where they're, they believe empathy kind of comes in. Yeah, yep. what, what animals you can kill to eat and what animals you're supposed to let live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. And then, I mean, so, if you, if you take that into effect, with maybe the downfall of his life after he turned, you know, got that whole realization that he was turning into his old man, that might have been a trigger to the downfall. He's got to figure out a way out of it, and shit just spirals out of control. And now he's in a fight or flight situation, and he's a fucking trained marine. Uh, shit's got to go. The, it can't go but one way. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's. Yeah, it, it was a perfect storm, and like I said, the, the man who was up there was the last man you would want to be sniping at you. Uh, he was he was no Vegas shooter, folks. This guy, he picked targets, and for the most part, he hit them. Um, I could not find for the life of me how many rounds he actually fired. Me either, and I he went up there with 700. I know that. Um, yeah, but so that sh that information should have been out there somewhere. But so if somebody, if somebody does know where to find that, let me know, please. That way I can do the math and figure out what kind of uh, wound to round uh, percentage this guy had. Yeah, um, there was this one. I think it was a cop. No, no, it was students, or maybe a cop. I can't remember now. But they were they they were kind of looking for people to help during it, and they see this person that he had kind of shot and left as like a, a honey pot. They were wounded and, you know, and whatnot. He had wounded them and he was just sitting there sighting them in. But all these people on the ground saw was somebody shot in the park lot, basically saying, what did I do? You know, he didn't realize, he, he, he was in shock. He didn't, it hadn't really occurred to him that he had been shot. And uh, so they, they go out there to save him and like they didn't hear the shots. That's how far away they were. But they did feel the pavement exploding around them as they ran to get the guy. And uh, then these other students pulled up in a car and kind of like opened the door on this car. And they pulled this guy in and they managed to get him out of there. And when you're when you're hearing about it, it sounds like they're describing a war zone. You know, it sounds like they're in Vietnam, you know. Uh, and I, and I feel there's a, a lot of people on the campus who had been in Nam. You know, and I just you have to feel for them because it's like, man, they went home and here they are in a fucking war zone again with the madman sniper. You know, leaving honey pots out and shooting anybody that comes to help them and shit. 
Like they're they're right back in the same shit. You know that that had to be there. There's probably some therapist phone calls made that weekend for sure. Oh, I bet, brother. But yeah, that's that's the story. Um, like I said, uh, we're we're leading into uh, our, our our big mass shooting discussion where we're going to talk about you know what's what we feel about it. But uh, we're going to there's too many of them to really fit into a single episode. So we're we're going over the main ones. Uh, what's going to be our next one, Mike? So what you think about the Pulse nightclub shooting? You think we should go? Well, that's good. Is there something? Ahead, is there something you'd like to hit before then? Well, I mean, if we're going chronologically, well, I we didn't know we were doing to... all that. But uh, what that Johnsonville school? I was thinking just going on into uh, maybe Columbine. Um, wasn't there one before that 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 got popped twice that you was interested in? Oh yeah, shit. Uh, yeah, there was a thing was in California, like shooting ten years apart. Uh, shit. One of them was the I don't like Monday shooting. Um, what was he the seventy uh, look at this list of god it's such a ridiculously long list i i you know it kind of hurts <laughs> that, that that's the kind of sad thing to have to say about uh the, about the, the united states but yeah you, somebody's got to say it man yeah we do have a a, a a bad stain on this you know love of guns that we have and we got to get to a root of it so here we are <laughs> yeah uh so next Next week, we'll be talking about Cleveland Elementary School in San Diego, California. Well, not next week, but our next episode. Um, in San Diego, California, a first one was a 16-year-old girl. Uh, they actually made a song about this called I Don't Like Mondays. And then 10 years later, uh, it happened again. I got to find it again. But 10 years later at Cleveland Elementary Tune in School. 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it happened again. And uh, yeah, so we're going to look into that. I'm going to I'm gonna find that shooting because now I can't fucking find it anywhere, of course. Uh, yep. <laughs> oh, Too busy is, over there uh, scrolling. You, you know, see if all you had to do was flip a page, you know, you'd have been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I didn't want to have to read my horrible handwriting. <laughs> and with a list that goes back to the 1890s, yeah, that's that's a lot of handwriting. But we're not going back that far, but I got to find them. But yeah, the next ones we're going to do is we're going to talk about the uh, Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Elementary School. And then we're going to go into Columbine after that. So. Yeah, yeah we got a lot to talk about on a couple of these that are coming up. So make sure you folks, you tune in for the whole series. It's turning into one here. So we appreciate you all the times and uh, tell them where they can find us again there, Richard. Um, well, first, I'm going to give a shout out to our new friend of the pod, uh, Wickless Sky. Um, you might know his stuff. He's, uh, he's uh, The music we've been using for our intro thus far was Wickless Sky's song Balkan Sex God. And uh, after reaching out to him to get official permission to do it, he pretty much said, yeah, you can use it or I can I can give you something exclusive. And he actually did. Um so yeah, he's uh we're gonna we're gonna put the new intro up. It's gonna be his new song that he titled Stoner's Point. It's fucking awesome. And of course um, you guys are gonna hear that probably before you actually hear this, but yeah, that was what it was. Yep, that's what you heard. 
Uh, that's that's the new intro music. Um, but yeah, uh, you can find us on Spotify, uh, Amazon Music. You can find us on Audible. We're on Patreon. We're on uh, Podchaser, I found out. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know we were on that one. But yeah, we're on Podchaser. We are on uh, Acast. We're on... Um, apparently, you can just go on like your Alexa smart speaker now and tell them to find, play us and we pop up. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so, yeah, find, looks up, Stoner's Point Podcast. Uh, join our Patreon. You'll get bonus content, early releases. Um, we'll eventually be doing live uh, live streams. Uh, and, yeah, that's that's it for my end. You got anything else, Mike? Nah, yet to the ear. We'll catch you all on the next time, folks. Uh, appreciate you tuning in and spending your time with us. I know you've got many choices. Always remember. <laughs> yep, fuck around and find out. <laughs> uh, well.